0: It makes your day to day easier and gives you the freedom to focus on what really matters—your future.
1: Grow your business without the grind in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.
0: Rest assured, when somebody tells you you're full of shit and they're gaslighting you, they could absolutely—they could be wrong.
1: wrong. Yeah, they also yeah. bet against Wikipedia and like nobody remembers Microsoft and Carta.
0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Brave New Work, a podcast about reinventing our organizations and the search for a more adaptive and human way of working. I'm Aaron Dignan, and I'm joined by my all-year co-host, Rodney Evans.
1: All year long. Hi, everyone.
0: On today's episode, we're going to talk about what we've learned this year. But before we unpack that, we are going to check in. For the last time this year, <gasps> this is our last episode of the year. And oh it's our last God. episode of what was, I guess, a season four. What? Yeah. Is that true? I think so.
1: Oh, my God. We're really doing this thing. All right. So our check-in question for today is, if you had to say what the theme of your 2021 was, what would you say?
0: Doing too much.
1: <laughs> Barf. Barf. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was, but not I, I don't even think of it necessarily in a bad way. It was a conscious choice, but it was a year of like really letting my curiosity and my hunger drive and taking a backseat on some other forms of like sanity and self-care. Mm-hmm. And so I did just like I was like the kid in the candy store, the kid at Casa Bonita that's just like, ah, I'm gonna mm-hmm. ride every ride. I'm gonna do everything and I, I really just let myself. Go. Like, if I wanted to spend five hours in the weekend researching Web3, I did. Mm -hmm. And if, you know, we wanted to like try to juggle a little bit too much, I did that. I learned a lot about how not to do that and why, you know, why I want next year to be different. But this was definitely a let loose year.
1: Yeah. Let it all go. Let it all hang out. My 2021 theme feels like it was a transition year. Mm. This is a very bridge year for me. So. A lot of things changed. As I said to you before we started recording, this time last year, I was wrapping up a one and a half year long, super intensive project that had been yes. almost my entire focus work-wise for a long time. And now, and then and and in the last 12 months, I have been mostly working on the ready, less, you know, fully ensconced in client work, which has been significantly different. We did all of this stuff around my mother-in-law and her state and a move and whatever. And, like, just all of our personal rhythms were sort of upended this year. Mm -hmm. So it feels like it was this, like, bridge year to something else that was a bit tumultuous, honestly, at times. Like, it was not all positive, but... It feels like it was foundational to something new for next year. What's
0: the tarot card for the year that would like map to that story?
1: The hierophant. There you go. There you go. Interesting. So we're going to do some personal reflecting, but don't worry, nerds. There will be dank nugs in here for all of our people who are trying to do transformation work because we're not just going to talk about the ways in which we changed our sweatshirt game. We're also going to talk about some kind of important stuff, I think, in terms of how we approach work and life and change.
0: Real talk, I did change my sweatshirt game this year, though. Did you? Yeah.
1: What did you change about it?
0: There. So we we were looking for Murmur apparel and we found mm. the actual sweatshirt I'm wearing now, which we are getting released in January. Give me one. And. It's the most comfortable shirt I've ever owned of any really? kind, of any fabric, of any shape. And I can't stop wearing it. And it's driving me. It's like a little bit disgusting.
1: This makes a lot of sense because I've seen you in that shirt a lot lately. And in I've been meaning to ask you what broke you out of your all black habit. And it's it a was apparently chip
0: cookie of a shirt.
1: It's the platonic ideal of a shirt that got you yep. out of all black all the time.
0: Yeah. So I'll be ordering this in black soon. But okay. this is definitely like, yeah, it's a game changer. Anyway,
1: it's it's your jam. All right. Anyway,
0: what I was thinking we could do for this app is is play a game of call and answer. So okay. we, you know, we each share a learning a noticing from the year, something we're either looking back on or sort of taking forward, and then see what that sparks and we'll okay. just trade off until we're much smarter.
1: Okay, let's do it.
0: Okay, you go first.
1: Something that I learned this year is about our company, which is I have this mental model now that is about our history of being really scrappy and having a lot of smart, generalist, energized, amazing humans who are basically like, I can take any hill. I can figure anything out and I will. <laughs> and like, I'm going to be fucking awesome at finance and awesome at sales and awesome at delivery. And like, I think personally that served us incredibly well at the ready. And I think it's part of why we are like very coherent as an organization. And this to me was the year of specialization mm. where. We just started to scratch the surface of who could really identify their zones of genius. I think you and I are further along in this because we've had the luxury of time and space to do so than other people, but we will all get there. And just sort of Honoring and paying attention to the fact that there are things that people have real lived experience doing and can contribute in amazing ways that are also much more efficient than us just trying to do everything. And and I think what that gets us is scale in a way that feels abundant and easeful. So my mental model, my, my reflection on this year is sort of we went from scrappiness and now we're in more of this specialization territory. And that will lead us to scaling in a way that does not feel completely exhausting.
0: Totally. Yeah. It's funny. I had a very similar theme on my list, which was getting everyone in their zone of genius matters And it's a funny one for me that you bring up because there's a little bit of dynamic tension between what The Ready always talks about around role mixes and having people with the freedom and the autonomy to move into different spaces of the organization. And that way we get the efficiency of different skills expressed in different places instead of one job description. But at the same time, it's been a really important year for recognizing that just at a focus level if you spread yourself across 3 or 4 things even if you are the best in the world at those things totally you you become like a little spread thin and you're unable to really fully Express your talents, and chances are you're not world class at all four of those things. Maybe you're good it's at possible. them, better than most, better than yeah. average. Sure, that's what makes you, you know, a member of the team. But I think at the end of the day, <laughs> there is that one thing where it's like that's where this person really dunks. Yes, and and the idea here that we're leaning into this year, and I think really going whole hog on next year is make that the number one thing and really try to dial that up in in terms of focus and energy and specialization and then of course there's still room for the other roles the other plates that you want to spin but having more clarity about this is what i'm really gifted at and what brings me joy cuz not yeah. just am i good at it but does it really energize me and you yeah. put those two together that's a very magic recipe
1: which brings me to another one of my learnings <laughs> which is It takes a while to be great at something, at a new (laughs) role. And that's true even if it's something that you've done before or you think you've done before, even if it's something that you believe yourself to be good at. What I've realized because I've stepped into these other roles that are less similar to what I've been doing with clients for a long time is like it takes me time to make sense of what's happening inside of a team or circle and what's happening in the external environment. And I ask for information from other humans, but it takes like Real practice to turn that information into something useful in that role. And then from there, it's like, okay, like growth is a good example. It took me six months to figure out, like, what is all of this? Six months to even start running experiments and real experimentation. I think if it's interesting, like, is going to kind of suck at first because it's something new, it's something we're not good at. We can't just try one rep of one thing one time and be like, well, that didn't work. Like we have to sort of stick into things. And so my new sort of mantra, if you have the luxury in your business or as a human is like hire ahead. Don't expect anyone to be amazing at anything for six months. And don't wait until that pair of hands has to like be really effective to do something about it. Because right. I think I have struggled personally with wanting to be better, faster at things <laughs> than I physically possibly can be. It's like, yeah. I am a fast learner and I have learned as fast as I can. And it still just takes time.
0: I'm so often relating our work to personal training and I'll do it one more time for the year. <laughs> one, which more is one more time
1: in 21. Let's talk about weightlifting.
0: And I don't even do it that much, which is the funny part. Um, People
1: probably think you're like little Arnold Schwarzenegger, but you know. I
0: don't even lift. I climb occasionally. I box occasionally. I'm definitely, you know, I'm not in the peak physical condition that I'd like to be in. In any case, what I do know is that the way we think about work and roles that we play is, oh, if I'm gifted at that or I'm talented at that or I have a proclivity for that, I can just like slot in and out of stuff whenever I want and I can take a six-week break from sales and then go back to sales and I'm just as good as when I left. And the reality is like, it's a lot more like athletics where even if you're a world-class skier, if you take a whole season off, when you first come back that first week, you are not crushing it at the level you were at before. It's a practice and a habit. And I think that's the reality is like being excellent in a space in a role is about adopting the habit. And once you've surfed the habit long enough, you know, contingent to your level of ability, like if you're really, really gifted at it, it'll be a faster habit build again. But I remember when I started writing Brave New Work after a seven year hiatus of writing books It was like, wow, I suck at this. Yeah. And then about a year into writing, it was like, oh, yeah, I can write three hours a day. It's not a problem. And right now, if you made me write a thousand words, I would protest like a six-year-old. Yeah. Like, it's, I'm just out of practice. So I totally agree with you. I think it is something we need to be way more patient about and way more deliberate about.
1: Yeah. And like... It's not a reason not to do new things. Like, I am such an advocate for dynamic role work and the ways we've been doing this at the ready. And in some ways, I feel like, you know, as an elderly and wizened woman, it can be very easy to be like, I just want to do shit that I'm good at because I'm good at a lot of shit and like pay me and I'll just fucking crush this. But it's like, it's also very good for my brain to be learning about DAOs. It's just hard because it's new.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of new, one of mine for the year, probably one of the biggest ones was that working on product, a real product that people buy without talking to someone
1: mm-hmm. was super
0: eye-opening. Uh- I have spent 20 years in services and services is a game of adaptation and influence. Yes. And so like, yes, you write down a scope of work. Yes, you have a website that says what you do. But at the end of the day, It is hand-to-hand, person-to-person, conversation-to-conversation, pivoting, learning, steering, adapting, all that kind of stuff. And so a lot of the choices that you make are about relationships and about adjusting course as you go. Mm -hmm. And with product, what has been such an eye-opening experience for me on the murmur side, and to a certain extent on the course side with you as well, the ready course, has been... You have to design things with way more intentionality and you have to be paying attention to real world feedback. But what you're baking is more of a lasting stand on its own two legs kind of thing. And that has actually been really valuable for me because it means you have to think way harder about who the user is, who the customer is, because you can't pivot on the fly. Right. Right? With the ready, someone comes in the door. They're a startup. They're a nonprofit. They're an enterprise. They're a government organization. We can pivot right on the fly and be like, oh, here's what you need. Here's how you can think about it. If your front door is a product, they show up. That's it. Like you're either for them or you're not for them. So that has been big. I also have a a few like they sound like theory X observations, but they're actually theory Y. So people do not read they do not give you the no time of day no one reads they don't want to read Ever. they don't want to do any work our you know our our friend out in the in the world of product scott belsky always says you know in the first minute of a product experience people are lazy selfish and vain mm, and accurate. and it's like and i certainly am you know totally. it's like i just like give me the value get me the hell out of here i don't want to waste time i don't want to do any work on a login
1: page, I'm like, I don't know if this is worth it.
0: Mm. <laughs> this might not be for me. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, I'll spend like 40 minutes picking a show on Netflix, but I will not spend an extra minute setting up. So it's been, it's been really interesting for someone that sweats the world of work and how we work and practices and principles as much as I do to be like, oh, they don't care as much as I do necessarily about it the way I care about it. Or maybe they right. do, but when they come to this context to use a product... They're not looking for this other stuff of, you know, they don't want to learn or educate or like spend five hours, you know, staring at their navel. They want to get something done. And so that has been a a really important awakening for me. And what's fun about it is I've been bringing some of that back to the ready and thinking about where it makes sense. How do you productize a service business and make things a little bit easier to buy and understand and be a little bit more choosy about who you work with and why and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, it's like uh, baking versus stir fry.
0: Totally.
1: It's like when it's a stir fry, which is like a service <laughs> business, and you taste it, you're less like, mm, that could use some more pepper. But mm, like, you can't do that sauce. with a cake once it's in the oven. You got to like no, put that shit together is and then it's got to hit. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's, that's really cool. This might be somewhat related, and I'd be curious if this has been your experience on the murmur side. Okay. But this year, You know, I've sort of been jokingly saying that the pandemic has made the future of work the present, (laughs) because all of a sudden, (laughs) our really dumb arguments that I used to have with clients about whether email and Slack were the same thing have just stopped. And like early months of a project, please turn on your video. Please turn on your. could you turn on your video? <laughs> like mute, we're just we're just done with that. Like we've yeah. we've got the hang of a lot a lot of the very foundational stuff that you and I have been doing for 5 or 10 years. We're just not like it's table stakes now.
0: Totally.
1: And one of my reflections about the ways in which ways of working trends, future of work trends have really like landed in many ways during the pandemic is that I spent a lot of years in this career kind of feeling gaslit because of how many conversations I had where people were like, you're a hippie or like you're nuts or like that'll never work here or that seems like it would only work for people like you in situations like this or that's anarchy or that's whatever it is. (laughs) And also that when, you know, when you're disrupting something that's calcified that's old that is run by people in power that is patriarchal etc like that doesn't, you know, (laughs) those systems don't love your new idea that takes power away from them. And they will be like very ungenerous in the ways that they categorize things that are new. Mm -hmm. And I've had this like realization and this learning in our work at the ready. And then also as I've been diving further and further into Web3 and I see how people talk about things like NFTs and they're just like, this is garbage. This will never replace the Mona Lisa. Cryptocurrency is blah. And I'm like, oh, 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 oh. This is what we do when we don't understand something new and it doesn't feel familiar to us we just like shit on it and try to make those people feel insane and so like i've come to this realization that it and and actually had some conversations with clients who are trying to disrupt their own systems it's like we have to normalize feeling gaslit if we want (laughs) to make change to traditional systems Like, that's part of the job. So let's just get some tools to cope with it and hang right in there.
0: I love this point so much. And particularly because I think in the world of product, it has become a bit of a badge of honor to have a contrarian take. Totally. Right? Like, what people have realized in the world of investing and startups is if you don't have a take that most people think is dumb, you probably don't have a billion dollar idea.
1: Because yeah. it
0: would just have already happened. Like if it's if it's status quo, it's status quo. And that means there's already a winner and there's already a market and there's already an outcome. So the whole point is to think something that most people are like, really though? And <laughs> then to be right. And and a lot of people that are very successful in that space tend to have a pattern around that. A pattern of like, I think of something, people think it's bullshit and then it turns out to be right. And you do that three or four times and you're kind of a legend. Yeah. And so I actually think it's a way of thinking. And, and once you first of all, if you have that way of thinking or you can adopt it or you can learn it, that's the first step because the chances are you'll be able to be ahead of things and and create new patterns or at least ride new waves in culture. But the second part of the mindset is actually to thrive on the contrarianism of it all. yeah, to be like it's not you know, ga- gaslit still feels like it's coming from a place of I'm a little bit of a victim of someone else's attitude. Whereas really what it's like is like, oh, that's it's cool that you don't get it. That's part of why I'm going to be successful. Like that's part of the reason why I'm interested in this is that you don't get it. Yeah. And so it's almost like an advantage. So to me, it's a mindset shift of if everybody doesn't get it and you feel like it's really true in your gut, Sometimes you're going to be wrong, of course, but on balance, you know, if you're right more than you're wrong, those things are just so nonlinear in terms of outcomes for, for you and your, and your colleagues and your supporters. So I have been trying to practice that. However, there is the ego reality of experiencing just like the doubt and, mm-hmm. the, and the like, is this one of the ones that's going to work or one of the ones that isn't? Or even is this going to work out on a time horizon that doesn't work for me? Mm-hmm. So, you know, being right and being early are not the same thing, you totally. know? And and so I do think that, that I, I personally still harbor a lot of doubt about things along the way, but I do hit a tipping point where on on every idea where it's like okay this is rooted now in my body mm-hmm. and now I'm no longer like assailable yeah. but but each idea goes through that those waves of like gaslit a little nervous about it maybe it's going to work and then now I'm really grounded in it and yeah. all of that usually happens well before the market gets there
1: <laughs> right exactly exactly yeah. i think that's a that's a super i think it's a super articulate way of putting it and i think i'm i've only just in the last year, been like, oh, your dismissal of this is an indication that I am correct.
0: Totally. And it's an indication on a lot of that, things. Yeah, that you're bought into a certain pattern and a certain ideology. I mean, yeah. my favorite all time quote about this idea is the Steve Ballmer quote at Microsoft about the iPhone, mm-hmm. where he said, There's no chance that this iPhone is going to get any significant market share, period. No chance, said yeah. Ballmer. It's a five hundred dollars subsidized item, <laughs> and then he goes on to say, "I think maybe two or three percent of the market share is what Apple might get." Yeah, and and that's the CEO of a major multi billion dollar company who has access to all the world's information. So rest right. assured, when somebody tells you you're full of shit and they're gaslighting you, they could absolutely they could be
1: wrong. wrong. Yeah, they also yeah. bet against Wikipedia and like nobody remembers Microsoft and Carta, You know,
0: nope. So another observation of mine a little bit triggered by the conditions of the pandemic and also the theme of my year is a reorientation around rest and recovery. So this this year I've been trying really hard to get better sleep and I've been trying hard to think about how I take breaks. And the way of thinking about it that has finally landed with me is that rest and recovery is training. So if you you know back to the physical, if you look at a runner and you're like, "Hey, Sunday is your off day," how important is that? Or should you just keep running? They look at you like you're crazy. Like you have to recover. You have to let things build back up. But for some reason, as we've talked about before, knowledge work is just like that's crazy. You should just be able to think all the time and never keep running. Yeah. And so it's an idea that's landed with me cognitively, but has not yet landed in my like heart. And I haven't fully implemented it, but it's definitely been a building wave this year. Is like rest and recovery is work. Rest and recovery is work.
1: How many times on this podcast have I been like, go to bed?
0: Yeah, yeah. Go to bed. But I think that's, for me, the connective tissue is like, it's your job to go to bed. It's your
1: job to go to bed. I know, you're so much happier when you're rested.
0: Well, there you go. Not just you,
1: everyone, but you in particular.
0: (laughs) You in particular, cranky.
1: (laughs) I mean, we're all cranky. We're like babies when we don't sleep. This relates to me, though. I also had an adjacent realization. So, you know, Mm. I have been Captain Sleep forever. Captain Sleepyhead. But my version of that thing is that I didn't see boredom as being important. And... I think that in my old life before the pandemic because of how much travel I did and we did and how much sort of like stimulation and in-person stuff there was the counterweight to that for me was rest. Right. So when I like would come home from a trip on Friday night, I would be like I want a bourbon and to sit and listen to a record in silence with my husband patting my hair and my dogs on my lap. It was like intensity, counterweight rest. In now times, it's not intensity in that way, but it's intensity in information. So like I'm online more, I'm on video more. There's just like a lot more content that I ingest than I used to, largely because I was doing in-person shit and I wasn't reading screens all day. And And the counterweight to that for me is not rest, it's boredom. And it's like Mm. space and it's silence. And so I've really made a practice in about the last six months of not having a device with me, doing like household chores with no like NPR on or a podcast on or a, you know, 30 rock in the background. And just being like, while I put on my makeup or I do the dishes or I walk the dogs or I sit on the deck, like just nothing, just nothing boredom. And, uh, dude, it's like very good for my brain. It's where all my good ideas come from is boredom and space. And like, I have to get through that little trough of itchiness because it feels very unpleasant to me at first. Literally this morning I needed to empty the dishwasher. (laughs) and I was like, I want to listen to the news. And then it was just like, no girl, no, just empty the dishwasher in silence. And then I had an idea for our meeting later this morning.
0: I feel like we are rediscovering facets of the simple life (laughs) but through the perspective of a like post-capitalist society where we've kind of learned all the lessons about ultra-productivity and happiness and focus and if you put like you know Cal Newport and Ezra Klein and 4,000 weeks Oliver Berkman in a bucket and like shake it up what comes out and and Greg McEwen who was on the show and like all these thinkers what comes out is basically like we need Balance of almost all the things, especially some of the things that we used to think were the enemy or that we were something we had to eliminate as people. You know, like we got to get rid of boredom and we got to get rid of inconvenience and we got to get rid of, you know, peacefulness and quiet and we got to like make sure we always have a connection. And then it's like, well, actually, that's not true. It's (laughs) not true. We need all that stuff, you know? Yeah. Like candlelight after the sun goes down might be a good thing,
1: it might be okay. Yeah. It might be okay. I really try when I wake up in the morning to not reach for my phone and just like hang out for a second and be like, this is a very comfortable bed in a very nice room just for a minute, just for a minute yeah. before yeah. Instagram.
0: So building on some of these reflections that seem to be about the period we've just gone through and like a reassessment of the way we live and work, I, I have tuned in this year to the fact that the pandemic has created a little bit of like an ADBC phenomenon where we, you know, when we talk about time, we're like, oh, that was 10,000 years BC. This is 400 years AD. Like it was this demarcation in time between an old world and a new world. But for me now, it does feel like any ideas that the world was going to go back to the way it was are gone for me. Yes, I don't believe that you can put the genie back in the bottle on everything that's happened. And it doesn't mean that there's no future where I'm going to feel safe or where there's like any rest or recovery. I still hold out hope for those things. And I still hold out hope that like we can put this pandemic behind us. But I do believe that just the way culture works, the way we work, the way our lives are structured, it feels like a, a point in time that is just there was this other play. It was sort of like 9-11 in that way. Like there was life before 9-11 and then there was life after it. And that was a window of just total complexity theater and then this is like the next door closed and and another one opened on like what's after that and and that has gotten me thinking a lot about what are the things that will last what are the patterns that will stick and what are the things that were temporary white knuckling phenomenon like we just did this just to hold on and just get through it but there's no getting through it like mm-hmm. what if this is just it mm-hmm. you know it's the it's the old uh, Jack Nicholson movie. Like, what if this is as good as it gets? Yeah. What if this is just it, you know? Yeah. What would you do then? And I think I, for me, this year was about realizing that. And next year will be about putting into practice. I'm not going to wait for my life to start. Yeah. Like, this is this is life now. So what? So what are you going to do about it?
1: Right. Right. I want us to be the people who come up with the new initials for pre and post-pandemic. <laughs> We'll, yeah. we'll get back to you all with that. Yeah, <laughs> I I had a couple of very related observations. So I think that that realization felt like it came to me very early in the pandemic. And it significantly shifted a couple of things for me. I think mostly because both Ed and my mom, who are like the closest people to me,
0: mm. basically
1: said to me within three months of the pandemic starting, like plan for this to be a four to five year adventure. Based on history and medicine and things like that. And so I think Mm -hmm. I just, I just like crocked that early. Anyway, a couple of things have resulted in that that were real reflections for me. So, one is, you'll probably laugh at this and make fun (laughs) of me, but any like veil of professionalism that I had before the pandemic is gone. Yeah. So I'm just like, I fully tell people at work that I love them routinely. I I just like I, I fully tell clients they're full of shit routinely like just things that I used to censor a little bit or filter a little bit or massage a little bit like it's just gone I just lost yeah. in the pandemic I lost my ability for that sort of like. Veneer. I don't even want to say it was tact because sometimes it was just manipulation, but it was a veneer of like a professional mask or character or role that I played. And like, I don't know where that girl went, but like that bitch is gone. So here we are.
0: Yeah. And what is so staggering about this is you're not the only one to be going through that journey. And, and like probably before the pandemic even started, you were already less veiled and masked than the average person. Yeah. But now I do think that the appetite generally has been lost and there is much more acceptance. And I mean, to, to think back two years ago and recognize that the idea that a child of yours, a person you created, would come on screen during a call would be like a major faux pas. Right. Like you fucked up. Right. Right. And you have to like quickly get them out of there. Right. And now it's. It, it is not only normal, but it's expected. It's it's assumed, and it's nice, and it's, it's not nice. a big deal. And so I do I do think what you're talking about has happened culturally. And in the few places where it hasn't, in those workplaces and in those individuals where they're like really trying to go back or hold on to that, it just falls so flat <laughs> it now. Seems like it's so, so silly. So it stupid. seems like
1: the Victorians still like dressing for dinner. Yes, I'm just like, wearing a wig. It's over. It's like, yeah let it go,
0: like, yeah. we know you're a judge, but you don't have to wear that ridiculous <laughs> wig anymore. Like it's just not necessary. It's itchy,
1: it's itchy. And, you know, and I've seen you with your kids vomit in your hair. So let's just yeah. stop let's all just charade.
0: let go something about millions of people dying unexpectedly really awakens in you just an acknowledgement of what's important totally and 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 I think actually, the inverse is that people now are drawn to. Like the more authentic, the better, you know, the more real. And there's just a, there's a looseness that I'm really appreciating.
1: Totally. And I, the other big realization that I had this year, which is also very related to this is like, I am not going to do things. And again, very privileged take here. I just want (laughs) all of the caveats around this, but like, I am just not going to do things that I love to do. Work I love to do in environments that are totally borked,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I and I'm actually not mostly talking about clients. Like I'm talking about like you know being affiliated with like this university or this right. kind of coaching program or this thing. Where like if you're doing dumb shit and it it is going to impose on me, I'm just I'm not going to do that because <laughs> e- even even if like and this is a thing, you know, when I talk to people inside of organizations that are really screwy or, you know, like doctors that are trying to contend with like a hospital administration or whatever. And they're like, but I love my patients and I love my work. And I'm like, that's awesome. And it's like, I loved my coaching clients, but I can't handle working in a system that I see is fundamentally broken. And I am willing to give them up because I, because I can't, because I know better. I know it doesn't have to be that way. And I'm just not going to like ascribe and prop up and like give talent and credence to something that is incorrect.
0: The The great resignation is not just a set of people not totally. going to work for $15 an hour, right? Totally, It is a recognition in all of us of exactly what you just said, which is like, I'm just not going to do it anymore.
1: I'm just not going to do it.
0: I'm going to do and, and and the beauty of living in 2021 and soon to be 2022 is that if you do have even a modicum of privilege, there's an enormous amount of opportunity and selection and ways of playing the game that is available to you. And 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 if you have that privilege, you should be extending it to others who don't have it. But the idea is that, you know, there's not one way to do anything anymore. Totally, You can coach 50 different ways with 50 different organizations or without an organization and with clients that you know or clients that you don't know one time or 20 times in a row. Like there's just so much variance and possibility in the world right now that it seems it seems that everyone got the memo on that. And now for the most part, everyone is like, okay. Right. Let's reconfigure. It doesn't mean that we never do things that suck. Like no. every job, every role, every effort has things that are hard or challenging or boring to your point or whatever. But it it does mean that when it comes to like a values misalignment or not being treated like a human being, no, no time
1: for no. that. No, yeah, no, I don't want
0: to. No bueno.
1: No bueno.
0: Um, speaking of values and what we care about, one of my other big realizations this year was... It's very easy to confuse in your own mind the difference between I'm really important and needed in a system and I have a particular way that I would like things to be done. So <laughs> the, the reality is that your definition of Mm-mm. perfection, your definition of well done, your definition of what counts and what matters is just that it's yours. And, and so you have to be very thoughtful, I think. And I've, I've spent a lot of time this year thinking about like, where do I need to be the one that does something? Where do I want to be the one that does something? Where can I, you know, imbue some of the principles or values that I hold and then let something go? And where can I just let something go and not imbue it with anything or not like try to shape it or, or force it or constrain it in any way? And I, I do believe that for most of my pre-pandemic life, I, I was laboring under the illusion that like my definition of perfect was the definition of perfect. Mm-hmm. And also that that perfect and need were the same thing.
1: Right. And the reality is perfect?
0: like, yeah, like the business can thrive. The organization can thrive. The culture can thrive in ways that you don't expect. It can be resilient to things that you care about that the rest of the people don't. It like There's a lot more room than you think. Yeah. So that's been my narrative to myself. I haven't fully implemented that, but I've started to in terms of like what roles I hold and how I hold them and how I view other projects, people, companies, et cetera. So I'm trying to let go a little bit in that way.
1: Yeah. I have a very related one, which is because I do have perfectionist tendencies i don't generally have as much of a thing around letting go because i just i don't know it's like in my nature to cultivate other humans and see them do amazing shit and it's like what i love and the way that my perfectionist turns up that i really learned about this year is in terms of how i perceive risk Mm. and i learned this from playing this really stupid game on my iphone have you ever played the game two dots
0: Yes, of course.
1: Uh, Oh, I did. All right, of course. I don't really play. I mean,
0: I own an iPhone.
1: Does everyone play Two Dots?
0: It's a pretty popular game. Like that's a millions of downloads. Oh
1: shit! I don't know. I don't know why I ended up playing it. Probably I bought it anyway. And (laughs) it's a fun game, and it's like a distracting game. And I like found myself having a real adrenaline reaction to losing Mm -hmm. that Mm. game. And finally, I was like, holy, like, Rodney, what is <laughs> happening right now? Like, this is not like it's I am dark. experiencing fight or flight from a game that is truly could not have more consequence in any aspect of life. <laughs> but what it what I realized is like, that is a parable for how I look at a lot of things. So if a client is going off the rails, if a sale doesn't go through, if a candidate doesn't take the role, if, you know, the. Whatever, we miss a deadline on the taxes at home. Like my perception of risk is like everything's a ten, and everything is not a ten. Like most things are a <laughs> two. And right. and my like body and mind don't do a great job at knowing the difference of those things. Yeah, and so I've really started to try to like when I have like the pit in my stomach and the heart racing, like I did from playing two dots, I really try to be like, <laughs> Let's just take a beat and think about how severe the consequences of this are really. And mostly, they're not nearly as bad as I think they are.
0: This is like a personal story reflection on the safe to try principle that we exercise so well at work. Right. Yeah. 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 Like it's safe to fail, safe to try. (sighs) Is Yeah. It's so ever present. And it is funny when you have different styles of approaching that stuff with different people in relationships, in your life, with your parents, etc. Like it can be really challenging and really divisive when someone's like, if we miss this payment, I'm going to die. And you're like, "Mm, you're not, though, because I'll just like send it late and we'll pay the fee. Yeah. And and it's just such a different way of viewing the world. And of course, the shoe can be on the other foot on another decision or another aspect of life, right? So it's not as if, you know, some of us are great and some of us are not. It's like we have these different places where we haven't learned that lesson somehow. Yeah, that is, yeah, profoundly true. Yes. So as a as a parting thought, there are too many learnings to share in a single episode, but as the last one that feels like it rises to the level of of sharing, this has been a big year for me in dialing into what i really like to do what i naturally want to do where where my zone of genius lies and i think i've been a little resistant to it because i i so enjoy working with others and i enjoy seeing things grow and being part of the long term story of projects and organizations and families and friendships and i have i have a lot of stories in my head about Long term participation in things. Mm. But at the end of the day, I think what I learned this year is I really like to look around the corner and start new things. <laughs> like I like to plant seeds, I like to see little opportunities and then dig and poke at that until something emerges and gather people around little flames and make them bigger. And that I think what I finally connected the dots on this year is that doesn't mean that i have to go away from any of my projects or organizations or relationships in order to do it it just means that within them i can play that role and so like i have an ecosystem here with the ready with murmur with with my friends and family i don't need to necessarily make more buildings in order to play that role i just need to look in those systems and figure out what's next and go do some fire starting and and Tuning into that has been very freeing for sure and, and kind of like releasing tension, but it's also actually just been straight up exciting and energizing because it feels like getting back to riding a bike or something. It's like getting back to something that's very natural and organic, which is like, there's nothing more exciting to me than someone being like, hey, Dignan, go find something neat and interesting and new for us to do. <laughs> like, done. Yes. Yeah. So that's that's going to be the theme of my next year, I think.
1: Yes. I don't know yet what the theme of my next year is going to be. But I think one thing that I have realized that feels like the mirror of what you're saying, and partially this is from conversations you and I have had about you know what is really energizing for us, is like, I don't love starting things, (laughs) but I love making them work. And then I love getting rid of them. (laughs) And so I think that my whole... Like, I think the thing that I am better at than anything else is taking someone's small fire, turning it into something that will, you know, be enough to cook for a village. And then when it's time to turn that into something else or get to the next level, handing it over. Like, Mm -hmm. I am not an optimizer. I'm not an iterator. Like, I don't want to stay in it and think about what, like... I want to be the like 0.1 to V1. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do 1.1 through 5. Yeah. And so I've like realized, which is also very like hierophant energy. It's very bridge energy. It's like, (laughs) I've realized that like, that's actually where I play is taking something that is messy or unformed or a really cool idea or a lot of energy and like mechanizing it and turning it into a practice and doing real OS work to like make it sing. And then ceding it to someone else to run with forever. And I think you and I like tuning into that. And in some ways, like not feeling shitty for not being good at the other parts of that chain is pretty important.
0: Well, and not even not being good at, because I would argue that you can do a lot of other moves. But the point is like, which move do you do that just makes your heart sing? Yeah. And, And that is... Because I think with a lot of people that are high performers, they get too caught up in like, what can I do? Yeah. Instead of what should I do and what really like feels sustainable to me and, and nourishes me. And so I think, you know, the listeners can probably see the connection here between starting, scaling and optimizing. So if you're that optimizer, call us. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think that's that's a big part of what we learned this year is that this ecosystem has a lot of different organisms in it. And the way we all fit together and the story that we tell when we fit together in those different ways is really important. And it'll be fun, I think, in 2022 to play with that chemistry and that alchemy.
1: Totally. Now that we figured it out, we can do some cool stuff with it
0: we figured it all out and we'll just check in with you next year and see how see how that's going I'm sure we will learn as le- as many lessons next year as we did this year and that seems like a pretty good place to draw this episode this season and this year to a close
1: what a ride it's been in the words of Tom Segura I appreciate you motherfucker <laughs>
0: Right back at you. This has been an absolute pleasure. And to all our listeners and guests that you've made it an incredible year for us and a great way to stay connected in a year where we spent a lot of time in closets.
1: Heck yeah. Thanks, everybody. We love you. Leave us a review. You know, it can be your holiday gift to us. Put a bell on it. Wouldn't that be nice? A little five-star review. We did tip over the three digits. So thank you all for that.
0: A quick tip of the hat to Taylor Marvin for making us sound good all year long. Brave New Work is produced by The Ready, where we help organizations around the world change the way they work. You can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at TheReady.com or tweeting at us at TheReady on Twitter. As for you, thanks for listening. Now go change something. But first, maybe rest a little bit.